those that give up in the face of adversity after get a couple rejections, to be completely blunt, I don't think that either number one, they were ever truly committed to what it is that they wanted to achieve, their vision, they were not sold on it. And then number two, I don't think that the pain of being where they are was greater than the pain of not getting to where they wanted to go. I'm Michael Mogul, founder and CEO of Crisp, the nation's number one law firm growth company. I've built my business through practice, not theory. Crisp started with just $500 to my name and has grown to over eight figures in revenue over the last few years, earning a spot on the Inc. 500 list of the fastest growing private companies in America. Our approach has been to take everything we've learned about generating massive growth within our own organization and help the country's most ambitious and committed law firm owners do the same for theirs. In each episode of this podcast, I sit down with innovative market leaders from the legal industry and beyond to learn from those who thrive in the face of adversity, challenge the status quo, and define what it means to be a true game changer. This is Jessica, head of coaching strategy at Crisp, and today we're flipping the script for another special edition episode to get Michael's take on the importance of self-awareness and resilience in the face of rejection and failure, why being respected is more important than being liked, and why entrepreneurship simply isn't for everyone. It's not glamorous at all. In fact, it's pretty miserable. I would say that I spend a lot of time trying to talk people out of this because when they're confronted with the realities, it is one of the most difficult, painful things you can do. Yes, there's upside, but it's years out. You take all the risk, everything's your fault 100% of the time. That's coming up on the Game Changing Attorney Podcast. We are ready. Let's see what's in store today on uh, another AMMA. Welcome to the AMMA. Ask Michael Mogul anything. I'm thrilled. I love doing these. These are fun because I never know the questions. I never know where it's going to go. I could get canceled at any minute. This is exciting. So for those of you that are joining this, we do three different types of episodes on the podcast. Number one is the one you're listening to, this AMMA. You guys submit the questions. Text us at 404-531-7691. And we may answer them on the podcast, unless it's like a really dumb question, in which case we will absolutely answer it on the podcast. Then the other types of episodes that we do are the interview style format questions. We interview thought leaders from the legal industry and beyond, ask them all sorts of questions. Completely selfish endeavor because I get to interview these incredible human beings, ask them whatever I want, learn from them. If I invite them to lunch, they'd say, no, thank you. Invite them to a podcast, they come right on. But the good news is we make it available to everyone too. And then finally, our encore editions. We take some of our most popular episodes over the years. Now we're doing this three years. It's wild. And we share those episodes because people join the podcast at different times. It's important to get a refresher. So here we are at the AMMA. And I will say this is one thing that we will never do with an asterisk. And as you may have noticed, whether you listen to one episode or 200 episodes, is that we do not run ads on this podcast. And it's not from a lack of opportunity. Sometimes someone's offering us a good bit of money. They're like, hey, how about 10 grand a month? And you can mention my funding company. Or you can mention my underwear. And we say, no, thank you. Because once we allow sponsors on this podcast, can we really say whatever we want? Can our guests say whatever they want? And I don't want to introduce any sort of censorship to the podcast. The whole reason we started this was because we wanted to be able to offer this access to information from market leaders, experts in their fields, top athletes, best-selling authors. We want to be able to say whatever they want. Sometimes we have people on this podcast that may be a little bit divisive. Sometimes there's people on this podcast that you may not hear on another podcast, especially not on another legal podcast. I mean, how many legal podcasts has David Goggins been on? So we want to keep the podcast free and we will keep it free, but there is a fee. And that fee is that if you 
gain any sort of value from this episode or any other episode of the podcast that you please go on the internet. You're on your phone right now, for example, and leave us a five-star review, whether it's an Apple podcast or on Spotify or any of these platforms. It helps us reach more people. I believe right now we are the number one legal podcast in the world. And I believe, to my knowledge, we are like number 25 management podcasts, which is pretty wild when you think about it because you got to compete against like Jocko's podcast and like all these other leadership podcasts. And it's like a little game-changing attorney podcast somehow made it in the top 25. But we can only do that with your help. And all that we ask is that you share the podcast, leave a five-star review if it's valuable to you. And if you don't find it valuable, definitely do not share the podcast. Okay. Absolutely not. So hopefully we deliver for you. I'll do my best to answer the questions that I do not know that I'm about to receive. And I will do my best to not get canceled so we can do more AMAs. All right, Jessica, let's do it. This is where you thrive on the unknown. So this week's theme is all about being built or not built for entrepreneurship. First question, Michael, being an entrepreneur often means making tough decisions that might not please everyone. How can a person who has a deep-seated need to be liked by everyone navigate the ruthless waters of entrepreneurship, if at all? So here's the thing. If you're one of these people and you're one of these leaders that has this desire to be hoisted on a chair or to get hugs, want everybody to like you, you're probably not going to go very far. You're not really going to grow a great organization and a great business. And the reason for this is because to be a great leader, oftentimes you have to make very unpopular decisions. Because as you have a growing team and a growing organization, the odds that every decision you make are going to get unanimous support and that everybody's going to love it and everybody will see the vision for the organization the same way that you do, odds are like 0%. I see a lot of entrepreneurs that want to be liked by everyone, in which case they should just go up, start a Baskin-Robbins franchise. You just sell ice cream. Everybody will love you. Who doesn't love somebody who sells ice cream? Unless you're out of a flavor. Like, how could you? We're out of Cherry Garcia? Okay. So I think you have to reframe your mindset around really what you think is being liked. So I find that those that really want to be liked, they also avoid difficult conversations. They avoid confrontation. They avoid making the necessary decisions in the short term that are going to benefit people in the long term. And if you look at, in a typical interaction, let's say with one of your team members or with a member of your organization, if you look at that and say, well, if I make this decision, they may not agree with it, in which case they will not like me or they will have a negative view of me. But that's a short-term type of situation. And sometimes they're not always aware of everything that's going on, what the second order and third order consequences are of any decision that you make, how it impacts other people in the organization, how it impacts other teams, departments, et cetera. My standpoint on this is that I don't necessarily care about being liked. But I do care about being fair. And my view also is that as an organization, we look at ourselves really as a professional sports team, more along the lines of that analogy than a family. And it is my responsibility as a leader, number one, make sure we don't run out of money. Number two, to make sure that we are able to remain competitive and to continue to grow. And number three, continue to provide people with growth opportunities to be able to grow in their careers and ultimately meet the promise that we make for them when we hire them. Now, those three things are not easy but they involve making the types of decisions that sometimes are for the greater good of the organization. And I look at it also when you're delivering feedback or let's say you have to have a difficult conversation with someone, a candid conversation with someone. I look at it as an act of love to be able to deliver the type of feedback that can help that person grow and improve, even if in the short term, they may not like the feedback that you're giving them. I've had countless individuals over the years that when I was delivering that feedback, they thought I was the devil. Horns on my head, 666, just evil. I'm sure they went home, told their spouse, I hate Michael. I hate this human being. Can you believe this? He told me today that I couldn't go out for a three-hour lunch. Or he told me that would not be a good idea because I was behind on my targets. Or he told me that 
buying cookies for everyone from my team was not going to be a long-term strategy in order to be able to gain their buy-in and trust as a leader. I can't believe this guy. And yet, years later, I get the text, we're laying on a beach somewhere, right? It always comes out at a random time or whatever. And I get a text from somebody that five years ago was like, hey, you know what? I started my own organization or I'm here at this other organization. And now I've had this experience and I want to thank you so much for being such a great leader and mentor to me. I couldn't understand it at the time. Now I look back and I'm just so grateful that you were honest with me because no one else in my life was honest with me. No one else provided me the feedback. Now I've experienced firsthand that you were right. Thank you so much. And I look at a message like that and I say, what took you so long? Because five years ago, I was the devil. I'm just kidding. Again, sometimes people hear things at different times. Sometimes people hear they don't listen. And then sometimes you got to be at a different stage in your life, different season, a different point in your journey where the feedback's going to mean different things to you. And sometimes we only learn by putting our hands on the hot stove and realizing that, ouch, it's hot. So that's my thought on this. As a leader, you have to be able to make the difficult decisions to be able to be confrontational with someone to be able to offer great feedback. I mean, we've had Kim Scott on the podcast. She's the author of Radical Candor. I would encourage any leader that has a difficult time giving feedback to their team or having difficult conversations, listen to that podcast. It's phenomenal. She's amazing. But you're going to really struggle as a leader if your main motivation is to be liked. Because I've also seen the leaders that are the cookies, the donuts, and their team's like, oh, we really love... Sally. Sally. Okay, thank you. So we love Sally until it's the end of the month and they miss their targets and they're not successful and they're not able to grow financially and now they're not able to go on vacation or do the thing that they want to do because Sally did not set them up for success. She set them up with donuts. And then quickly that love for Sally turns to animosity. It's true. How? They loved me yesterday. Why don't they like me today? Well, because if you want them to really love you, help them be successful. Help make them more successful. Help them grow, improve, evolve their skills, evolve their capabilities, be people of value, be more resilient, have more grit, be more determined, be more focused, be a greater contributor, be a greater driver. You help someone do that, woo, they're going to love you and they're going to respect you. And what's the saying by Machiavelli? That if you can only have one between love and respect, I'll take the respect. So as a leader, you should be more so focused on, is this the right move for the greater good of the organization? Does it keep you from running out of money? Does it help make sure that your organization is always going to be competitive? And does it create opportunities and growth opportunities for the majority of your team or more, right? So that if you can focus on those three things, you will be much more successful than if you worry whether someone's going to like you or not. Could not agree more. You got to have thick skin. All right. Next one. I often hear stories of entrepreneurs who face countless rejections and failures before finding success. I think that's probably a given. Can you share insights on why some individuals can face these challenges head on? while others get discouraged and give up. Well, absolutely. Kind of the theme of this podcast. Some are built for this and others are not. We're all going to face rejection. I don't know of a path to any sort of success, certainly not entrepreneurial success, that does not involve a series of no's and failures. I mean, you're going to strike out more than you're going to hit home runs. Absolutely. In fact, your days are going to be filled with so-called rejections and no's and failures and things that don't go your way. Nobody sees that stuff. But... When I think about this of what separates those, well, those that give up in the face of adversity after get a couple rejections, to be completely blunt, I don't think that either, number one, they were ever truly committed to what it is that they wanted to achieve, either the business they wanted to build, the freedom they want to create in their life, their vision, they were not sold on it. They said they would have liked it, right? Hopes and wishes, you can't really measure. Goals, you can. So 
Number one, I think they, they weren't truly committed. And then number two, I don't think that the pain of being where they are was greater than the pain of not getting to where they wanted to go. So meaning that maybe things were okay and comfortable. They got Netflix, got college football, you got DoorDash, life's pretty good. I don't want to give all this up to chase something that I may or may not achieve. So the pain of where you are needs to be greater than the pain for you to go for it and actually do it and be committed to it. I remember when I was starting Crisp, I could not even imagine spending another day or another year, certainly, in my current situation of being broke as hell, having no team, no support, working 100 plus hours a week, being absolutely exhausted, having no real relationships in my life like that. Comparatively, when I look at it, I was like, eh, actually kind of lucky that was my situation because it was easier to give that up. If I would have had a nice home and a Mercedes and a couple cool things in my life, a couple cool toys, maybe a jet ski, I'd say, look, I don't know if I want to give up this make life in order to pursue this entrepreneurial dream. So that's why I think it actually becomes more difficult the more creature comforts that you have in your life. That's why David Goggins says, look, he's not going to sleep with silk sheets because it's hard to get out of bed when you got those silk sheets. And I'm not saying go sleep on the floor. I'm just saying that your present environment the pain of staying there should be greater than the pain of going for it. Otherwise, if it's flipped the other way, where, where you are is pretty good and there's not enough pain. It's good enough. It's good enough. Those are two words that have killed more entrepreneurial dreams than anything else. But you just have to have enough pain and dissatisfaction with where you are to make going for it worthwhile. And then you're not going to give up when things get hard because that's how you're going to be able to tolerate more rejection, more adversity, more failure. The origin of Chris, I won't tell it now, but for those that know, we got a lucky number 22 because it was 21 consecutive meetings that I went to where I was trying to get our first client and 21 consecutive times people tell me, no, not interested, not interested, not interested, not interested, not interested. 21, not six times or 13 times, 21 times we got our first client number 22. If I give up a six, this company does not exist. If I give up a 20, this company probably does not exist. Maybe if you give up a 21, wouldn't that be, ooh, ouch, right? That's like the three feet from gold. Imagine I give up a 21. Ooh, and somebody later told me when I passed, I'm going to heaven or hell, wherever I end up. And they say, look, just for fun, I want to share with you. And you gave up that 21 presentation, you would have gotten it at 22 and your life would have been sick. <laughs> sick and be twisted. The devil. Yes. 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 So that's my thoughts. Okay. All right. Last one to round this one out today. If someone confronts the harsh truth that they're not made for the entrepreneurial world, how can they repurpose their skills and experiences into another path? Is there a silver lining? Do you think there's a silver lining? Absolutely. In fact, I would say that more people would experience immense unhappiness and dissatisfaction going down the entrepreneurial path and being entrepreneurs just because of some glamour around it. Although I promise you, beyond Shark Tank, the day-to-day -day of it is not so glamorous. It's not glamorous at all. In fact, it's pretty miserable. I would say that I spend a lot of time trying to talk people out of this because when they're confronted with the realities, it is one of the most difficult, painful things you can do. Yes, there's upside, but it's years out. You take all the risk. Everything's your fault 100% of the time. So you say, look, that's not for me. And there's nothing wrong with that. You got to know thyself. Absolutely nothing wrong with it. The thing I would say that there would be more wrong with is that if you realize that you're not very risk tolerant, you don't really enjoy the entrepreneurial aspect of the business. And then you go out and start a business because you think that's going to be the path to freedom for you. That would be one of the worst things you could possibly do. And it's not to say you couldn't figure it out. I'm sure you could figure it out, but it's going to be working against yourself every step of the way. And you're not going to be very satisfied when you're working against yourself. Alternatively, I see a lot of people that have a lot of great skill sets and capabilities that know, hey, this is not for me. I don't want to start a business, but I could be a great entrepreneur within a business. And 
I'll let somebody else deal with all that risk. I want to be able to work within a business. I and mean, look, if you were like the number five, seven, 13th employee at Facebook, you're a billionaire. You didn't have to be Zuckerberg because I know a lot of times people equate financial success with being an entrepreneur. It doesn't always have to be that way. You can grow within an organization, make a great contribution to the organization and take none of the risk. Knowing what I know now, I'll be like, maybe I would do that. Somebody else is going to take all the risk. They're going to carry all the downside. I don't have to worry about that. And instead, I can strap myself onto the right rocket ship, learn from this person, work with this person, grow within the organization, gain a lot of autonomy. I look, our CEO, Alex, is this way. She's told me, I'm like, Alex, why don't you start a business? She's like, I have zero desire to start a business. It's just not for me. I'll let you do that. But I love operating a business. And I love running a business. So again, like I said, it's important to know thyself. And one thing I will say that addresses probably one of the last three questions is I believe that people in general quit things that they are passionate about to protect their egos. Meaning that they think that, okay, I'm not going to pursue the thing that I'm passionate about because what if I fail? I'm going to look stupid. Someone's going to judge me. As you get older, and you can see this around, especially like 70, 80-year-olds, 90-year-olds, you realize that nobody cared. Even those that were judging you were insignificant. You've even forgotten their names. And most people were much more enamored in themselves and wrapped up within themselves than focusing on you or anybody else. And if you let their judgments prevent you from doing the thing that you were very passionate about because you're worried about, you know, you're going to look stupid, and you rob yourself of the opportunity of what could have been, I mean, that's unfortunate. So... Once you know the realities of entrepreneurship, if I can talk you out of it, or if you can be talked out of doing this, don't do it. This is not some trick. No. It's just acknowledging the realities. There's a lot of people, I remember when I was taking the MCAT and I was getting into med school and we would go and shadow doctors and we would go even in the med school admissions process and they would tell us, here's what it's like in medical school and here's what residency's like. And there was a lot of people that just self-selected out because they're like, no, no, thank you. And then here are the student loans you're going to have. And you're going to pay these off for the next 30 years and you're going to maybe graduate by the time you're 30 years old and then you're going to start making some okay money. Now, they tell you those things, and a lot of people self-select out. That's good. It's yes. a good thing. Yes. I did. I said, no, thank you. I said, I'm not going age 30, arguing with insurance companies, and making 150 grand a year after all this with four or $500,000 of student loans. Absolutely not. So it wasn't for me. I was entrepreneurial. So if you can be talked out of it, that's probably a good thing. It means it's just not for you. There's nothing wrong with that. Being an entrepreneur does not make you cool. Being an entrepreneur does not make you less cool, whatever it is. Finding the thing that's the right fit for you, that aligns with your passions, that aligns with your skills, that aligns with your strengths, and aligning yourself that way, and you're going to have much greater happiness. I mean, does anyone know a miserable entrepreneur? It might be you listening to this podcast right now. Tell me the last time you were stressed five minutes ago, this morning, yesterday, the day before. Tell me the last time you dealt with a major problem all the time. So there's no glamour in any of this. And again, it's one of these things that you do because, at least in my case, quite frankly, I couldn't do anything else. I'd be bad at everything else. You put me in a role in some other organization, I'm just horrible. You're unemployable. They're like, fire him. Get yes. him out of here. Yes. So that's why I do it because it's just nothing else. But you have to ask yourself those questions. And if you are not built for the realities of what this entails, you can find another role within a great entrepreneurial organization that allows you to do the things that you enjoy without carrying the risk or the downside. And those people are so necessary. I think that's the other thing. Instead of like a silver lining, absolutely. It's actually very difficult to find a great operator. 100%. In fact, I was reading stats. I know they say 80% statistics are made up, but I forgot where I read this one that said that it is more difficult to find a great operator than it is to find a great CEO. Uh-huh. So there's your silver lining. Yeah, there you have it. All right. Thank you, Michael. My pleasure. You've been listening to the Game Changing Attorney podcast with Michael Mogul. If you found this episode valuable, here are three free ways that we can help you grow your law firm. 
Number one, download the first chapter of Michael's book absolutely free at GameChangingAttorney.com. Number two, you can shoot Michael a text at 404-531-7691 and ask him any question you'd like. You might just hear the answer on the next episode. And finally, number three, if you can leave this podcast a five-star review, it will help us gain access to more influential thought leaders and bring their lessons learned here to you. For more information on this episode, see the show notes in your podcast app or visit legalpodcast.com. 